0: Dear listeners, and welcome to Rethink, a podcast where we revisit past articles from the University of Malta's Think magazine. Looking at the pioneering work done by the researchers, we catch up with them to see how far they have come since they appeared in the magazine. My name is Daiva, and this time I am joined by my co-host Shruti.
1: Today we have with us Dr. Aaron McAuliffe, who's going to be speaking to us about his project. So if you could just tell us a little about your project, sir.
2: Sure. I'm working on a project called Marcan, which is a five-year project, currently in its third year. It's funded by the European Research Council through a starting grant. And the main aim of this project is to look for groundwater in the bottom of the ocean and the seafloor and try to understand how it influences the evolution of the of the seafloor landscapes, of the marine geology.
0: And uh, as far as we know, you have about two years to go, is that right? Indeed, uh, yes, um, that's right. And how do you feel about, uh, you know, the time? Stressed? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, no, it's actually been great fun um, because I've been working with colleagues from the US, New Zealand, Germany, and from the many different countries. And when the article came out in Think, we had just had finished the first survey, which was offshore New Zealand, and that was in mid 2017. So we really knew nothing about what like results were going to come out of the of this survey. Since then, we have analyzed and processed all the data, and actually carried out a second survey offshore Malta, exactly the same as New Zealand, just in a different setting. So we're still working on that, but. We have some initial results coming out from New Zealand that are, I think, quite exciting. And I think the main one is that we went there with the idea that there might be some offshore groundwater because there was an indication from an offshore borehole showing some, like a 50 meter thick lens of slightly fresher water than seawater. But when we carried out our survey and we saw the results, we actually found out there is a huge offshore groundwater system, offshore Canterbury. It's about 200 kilometers cubed in volume and very likely uh, deposited there during the last three glacial cycles. So you have to go back three ice ages. So that's 300,000 years. So most of it was deposited during this time. And that made us very happy because actually it made sure that we didn't go there in vain and spend lots of money. (laughs) First, we learned a lot because we used quite a new approach, which wasn't used before, but also showed us that our initial indications at least were correct. And now we have something to work on in the coming 10 years, like as a new study area with new techniques, new new instruments that we can deploy.
1: We're extensively talking about uh, how our planet is running out of water Mm -hmm. and how we have to be extremely careful about how much we're using Mm -hmm. it. So how has your research sort of been useful for this problem at hand? Could you tell us a little more about that?
2: So offshore groundwater at the bottom of the oceans has been proposed as a potential solution for water scarcity around the world. And this is because there's a volume of a half a million kilometer cubed of fresh water, and that's equivalent to about 100 times what humans have used in the last 100 years. So there's lots of fresh water down there, at least from the initial indications that we have. And uh, it could be a potential resource for the future. There's a number of concerns, though. First is whether the water that we might be pumping out from the seafloor is Renewable in the sense—is it being replenished from onshore, or is it a fossilized aquifer that, if we pump out, it will be completely gone after a few, perhaps tens of years? And maybe so.
0: even the sea flow would then collapse.
2: Then there's the <laughs> environmental implications, like there, you could have subsidence, as happens onshore. You can see it in the U.S. and in, uh, Indonesia. You have meters of subsidence almost every year. And then there's the biological impact. I mean, the water itself could be hosting certain bacteria that are potentially only found in that kind of environment, and could actually be related to some ecosystems on the seafloor that are thriving on it. So these are all issues that are related to groundwater exploitation, and we're actually exploring them in a second project that came out after Markan, which is called SMART. And this is a project together with the Germans, with the GMR, that we're carrying out um, almost at the same time as Markan, with a very similar study area. So there's that issue. What I wanted to mention is very important is that, okay, we're looking for offshore groundwater, but it should never replace other methods of water conservation or recycling. So I would suggest that it should only be used as a final solution if there's no other solutions that can work. And this could be in countries like Malta, for example, where well, groundwater is running out. So far, we haven't been implementing lots of measures that are targeted towards recycling or reuse or other countries that are suffering from climate change and sea level rise and or that are in a political conflict with their neighbor and their neighbor have sort of control on their water resources. So maybe in those kind of situations, it might make sense. But initially, we should always try to recycle and reuse water that we already have on on shore.
0: (laughs) Aren't you afraid that all these developers who are looking forward to land reclamation Mm -hmm. and exploitation of gas fields or whatever they might Mm -hmm. be under the sea, we'll jump at it and kind of privatize this resource that has been given to us by the Mm. Ice Age?
2: That's a good question. There's a colleague of mine who has been exploring the legal implications of using offshore groundwater. And basically, there's nothing, as far as I know, on a national or international level that regulates how offshore groundwater should be used, especially when it's shared between neighbors and the situation becomes more complicated. So that's a very good point. I don't have an answer to that question because I haven't dealt so much into it. But it's something that we want to focus on, especially with colleagues in the, in the legal department much more in the near future.
0: So in the end, it's an interdisciplinary project. Oh, it is. Yes. I mean, so can will... you tell us more about it? What kind of sciences are involved in Okay. This?
2: So there's geologists. Of course, that's the people who I, <laughs> like the class I belong to. Then there's geophysicists, engineers, geochemists, biologists, legal experts, and... I think that's it.
1: The article mentions this one statement saying groundwater is fossilized. Mm -hmm. So could you tell our listeners a little more about this particular statement?
2: Yes. So actually that's we have to go back again to the Ice Age. So in some instances you have conditions where, all right, this level goes down and either you have rivers or you have groundwater systems which are a bit steeper than usual and the groundwater extends all the way offshore. And then Deposits a body of water. Then, after sea level rises, it might either become disconnected from the onshore aquifers or potentially it's not being recharged as much as it was before. So we call that either inactive or a fossilized aquifer. Now, first I was mentioning that perhaps it could be dangerous to tap into these because you pump them out and the water is gone. On the other hand, though, if we just leave them there and we have another, I don't know how many thousands of years, of sea level at present conditions. This water is just going to seep out into, slowly into the water column. So the more we wait, the more we're going to lose of this water. So we have to balance between the two. Either use it right now to make sure that we don't lose it, but at the same time, be sure that we know how the system works, which is what we're trying to do in the Markham project before we make any big mistakes and that might have important environmental implications.
0: Let's hear more about the system from an article that appeared in Issue 21 in September 2017 of THINK magazine.
3: Underwater, groundwater. Under the sea is a whole new world with its own geology. Dr. Aaron McAuliffe writes about the Marken Project shedding light on the freshwater reserves sitting beneath the sea's saltwater and how they can be used to alleviate the groundwater problem plaguing the Maltese Islands. We have a water problem. By 2020, shrinking freshwater resources and growing demand will lead to 40% of the global population experiencing problems with water scarcity. When it comes to water resource per inhabitant, Malta is one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. Water shortages in other countries have led to food shortages, economic slowdowns, and even increased global conflict. Addressing local and global freshwater shortages is a matter of urgent concern. Solutions. There are a few. Many call for water recycling and better controls over its use. But the world is not always as straightforward as we would like it to be. And these ideas are not always feasible. Groundwater resources may be compromised by contamination, sea level rise, or conflicts with neighbouring states as in the case with Pakistan and the Maldives. So we need to think outside the box. One solution may be found at the bottom of the ocean. In the past few decades, a number of serendipitous discoveries of fresh water down to hundreds of metres depth below the seafloor have been made during oil exploration campaigns. Freshwater reservoirs can form underwater in two ways. Either the sedimentary rock layer that hosts the groundwater extends from the coastline to the seafloor, or the groundwater is fossilised, a remnant of when sea levels were significantly lower than today, and part of the seafloor was exposed. Recent estimates put the volume of freshwater hosted in sedimentary rock and rock offshore at half a million cubic kilometres of freshwater, equivalent to four times the volume of water used by humans in the past 200 years. Offshore groundwater has recently raised the interest of geoscientists at the Marine Geology and Seafloor Surveying Group of the Department of Geoscience, Faculty of Science, University of Malta and not just for its potential as a source of fresh water in the future. During the last 100 years, groundwater has been proposed as an important player in shaping onshore and offshore landscapes. However, a definitive link remains to be made. For the majority of the last 2.5 million years, the sea level was up to 130 metres below the present levels, creating suitable conditions for the development of extensive groundwater systems across a large area of the global seafloor. It is thought that these systems may have controlled dangerous processes such as submarine landslides, transporting sediment across continental shelves and into the deep ocean, effectively creating underwater avalanches that destroy seafloor infrastructure. They also play a role in generating tsunamis and contribute to canyon formation. Should this theory be correct, our understanding of groundwater systems needs swift revision. However, data around the subject is sparse. This is why the University of Malta Geoscientists developed the Marken Project. Funded by the European Research Council starting grant, Marken is a five-year project that will define the characteristics and dynamics of offshore groundwater in unprecedented detail and determine whether it plays an important role in marine geology. Led by Aaron McAuliffe, the team brings together geologists, geomorphologists, geophysicists, geochemists, hydrologists and engineers from the University of Malta. GEOMAR in Germany, NIWA in New Zealand, and the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology in the USA. The first phase of the Marken project involved an expedition to the South Island of New Zealand, one of the project's two study areas. In April 2017, the project team sailed from Wellington on board the research vessel Tangaroa and spent four weeks surveying the seafloor off Tumaru, which hosts one of the shallowest offshore groundwater systems in the world. The scientists used advanced technologies such as marine controlled source electromagnetism to map subsea floor salinity, as well as a suite of geophysical and chemical data to generate a 3D groundwater model of the region. The expedition also involves a terrestrial component, whereby the coastline close to Ashburton was surveyed with drones and electromagnetic induction to characterize the onshore-offshore interface. Similar expeditions are planned for the Maltese Islands in late 2017, Much of the datasets acquired during the expedition are being processed but there are good indications that an extensive reservoir occurs offshore. We also found widespread evidence of gas seepage of methane which could complicate our investigation. During the next five years, experiments and numerical modelling will be carried out. This will later allow us to use that data to run simulations of groundwater erosion in the laboratory and determine whether it is an effective process in shaping the terrestrial and submarine landscapes. The project presents a unique opportunity to address long standing questions in terrestrial and marine geology and brings about a great leap forward in our understanding of some of the most widespread and significant landforms on Earth. But not just that, groundwater seepage has also been proposed as an important factor shaping landforms on Mars. The project also has an important application. N will contribute essential environmental baseline data, scientific knowledge, and observational tools to make the Maltese Islands and the EU a leader in the assessment environmentally sustainable exploitation of valuable offshore groundwater resources. This could be the beginning of a revolution in the groundwater problem.
0: The article was read by Chris Stiles. Welcome back, and let's hear more about this research. So which way, according to the results that you currently have, does it seem that the water ended up in there? You mentioned that at the time when you wrote the article, you only had some kind of insights from New Zealand. And since then, you carried out your expedition in Malta and maybe elsewhere. So what is the pattern? How did this water end up there?
2: So the pattern, that we can see so far, and again, we don't have all the results, but at least especially from New Zealand, is that there is a connection between groundwater onshore with that offshore. And even at present, there is groundwater making it all the way to the beach and further offshore. But it doesn't go far away as much to explain all the groundwater that we see, because in New Zealand it goes from the coast all up to 60 kilometers away from the coast. And the current groundwater as it is might explain between 10 and 20 kilometers of that extent so we have another two-thirds that needs to be explained by something else and from numerical models that we ran especially with colleagues from the us from new mexico tech it seems that you actually need this level to be up to 120 meters below current levels which is what it was during the ice age and previous ice ages to explain that two-thirds of volume uh, that we see. That means that sea level changes are very important, so double sea levels are important to have an extension offshore of the groundwater system but also that tells us that most of the water is actually, if we can go back to what we referred to earlier as fossil, that was in place during a time where sea level and groundwater conditions were different from today. So if we were to pump the groundwater from offshore New Zealand, one-third would be very likely be recharged and we're not sure at what speeds that would be done but the other two-thirds would actually be lost forever until you go back to another ice age and the cycle goes back to what it was before.
1: I'm sure uh, your project has a lot of travel involved in <laughs> yes. the seas. So like you said, you mentioned about New Zealand yes. being one of your main areas mm-hmm. of uh, research. But what other areas are you planning to cover as part of your project?
2: As part of Markan we had to study areas which are New Zealand and Malta. And uh, those have been investigated, already well surveyed. We might have another survey coming up in December 2020. And then we have a number of sites around the world that we want to also focus on. We have some proposals already submitted for Canada, for Prince Edward Island, with some colleagues from Canada and from Germany. Other sites in New Zealand, especially like Hogs Bay in the North Island. And we tried, but failed so far, to go to Taiwan. And where else? And Tunisia actually, but we'll try again with some new funding mechanisms that are available.
1: So this makes me wonder, what made you or everyone involved in the project go for New Zealand and Malta? What was the main okay. factor that you chose?
2: First, we focused on New Zealand because there is a borehole drilled by the International Ocean Drilling Program, and that showed a fresh share, let's say, that water body at a depth of 50 meters below the seafloor. And that's the shallowest record of offshore groundwater around the world. Since we were using geophysical techniques that were being tested for this particular purpose, we wanted an easy site to start with, which can be easily imaged. So we chose that, and that's an example of what we call a silicyclastic margin, which is a coastline and an off- a continental shelf mostly built up by sediments coming from onshore, rivers, um, glaciers, etc. And those make up about two-thirds of margins globally. The other one third is carbonates, limestone, sedimentary rocks. And uh, Malta was a very good example of that because it shares the same geology, a similar rather. And I've been working here for the past 10 years and we have some data, as we had in New Zealand, that we could build on for our project. So we weren't like starting from scratch, but we already had a database that would allow us to identify sites where to focus our survey.
0: And do you have an approximate replenishment rate for Malta like you had for New Zealand?
2: Um, Not yet. We're hoping to process a few more data and run some numerical models, which is the task for the coming few months. Hopefully by mid-2020, I will have some ideas and some answers for you.
0: And when you think about the resources that might be under Malta and Mm -hmm. maybe shared with uh, Tunisia, as you mentioned, this is one Mm -hmm. of the countries of interest. Can you Maybe tell us a bit more about what it would take to actually extract them. What kind of equipment would be necessary to extract this water?
2: So the technology is not that different from oil exploitation. It's a very, basically, drill and pump it out. It can be done onshore or offshore. I mean, it can be done onshore if you have an extension of an onshore system going offshore. And the funny thing is that we might already be exploiting some of this water without knowing, especially if we are over pumping water in coastal regions. In some areas where it is really either disconnected or perhaps it makes more sense from a financial or engineering perspective, you can actually drill offshore, but mostly using horizontal wells, which are also also used in the oil industry, and be pumped back onshore. The good thing is that most of these waters are quite fresh. I mean, they're not as good as drinking water that you can go and drink them straight ahead. But they don't require lots of filtering or desalinization. So if you place one of these wells close to a desalinization plant, it would make lots of sense because it would go just straight there, be filtered, and then goes into the distribution system and homes or whatever, or agriculture, whatever it's planned use.
0: And going back to the biologists in mm-hmm. your team, have they discovered any interesting creatures in this water?
2: Not really. like they're most interested in the groundwater itself and to get to that we need to drill and to drill, you need a lot of money or apply for a particular program so we haven't been able to get access to these samples so the next step is to try to go to one of our study areas i did in new zealand drill get the water and see what kind of microbes it might have also look at the chemistry of the water look, try to understand how old it is because that will tell us whether our numerical models are right or wrong. If it, if you require a glacial cycle and, and ice age to, for it to be deposited or not. And that's really the next step. And we're hoping to do that, hopefully within the next few years.
1: Would the extraction of this water be mm-hmm. similar to how oil or uh, petrol is extracted from underneath the oceans? Like how exactly would you go about extracting this water?
2: I think it would be, different, because here we're talking about shallower layers, so you don't need to go down kilometers. And there's no need to pump water to get the oil, for example, like in this case, simple pumping out of the water from the aquifers. Of course, depending on the sediments that you have. And so far, we found it mostly in slightly coarser sediments, like sand, for example. And that should be a little bit easier to pump out.
1: Once the research has yielded results, Mm -hmm. how would you go about making this an actual ground reality where countries start putting in money and resources to actually Mm -hmm. get this water? How would you go about it?
2: So after we assess the environmental implications of it, our plan is to put it on the agenda of politicians, especially in Europe, because this is a European-funded project. First of all, to... I ideally fund more research on because we are really at the beginning of the yeah. of this field in terms of research so we would need additional funds either for us or for colleagues mm. to understand better how these systems originate and operate but then what we really need is that one country somewhere in the world drills and starts Jesus. sustainably exploiting this groundwater offshore yeah. and once that happens if it happens once I think and if it's a success then many other countries will follow and so far Nobody has done that. The closest country that, that has managed to get to this point was actually New Zealand. In Wellington, they were planning to exploit some of their groundwater, which is quite shallow. But they did, carried out their studies. At the end, they, said they decided not to go for it. So we still need to find somebody who is willing to okay. do that as a, as a pioneer.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> and what happens if this technology ends up in the hands of regimes that are perhaps not so careful with the environment or um, mm. not so concerned with the uh, sustainability?
2: That's a problem. And the, the problem is that most of the techniques we are using are quite similar to what you use in the oil industry. So we're not really reinventing the wheel. I mean, we're just applying techniques that have been used in the past to other purposes and if they wanted to do that unfortunately the technology is already available to do it maybe not the expertise to do it in a sustainable way and if you exclude that then you really have problems yes
1: i think one of my main questions here would be if you were to tell the listeners of Mm -hmm. this podcast how they could go about using water right now thinking that okay we are facing a water scarcity mm-hmm. what would you as, as a scientist what, uh, working in this field extensively mm-hmm. what message would you like to give to our
2: listeners well especially listeners from malta i would like to remind them that we are one of the top 10 poorest countries in terms of water in the world okay and this doesn't seem like nobody seems to realize that because we're just using water as if we had it <laughs> like have a, an infinite reserve. And unfortunately, we don't pay the price that we should for it because most of it is subsidized. So I would suggest that whenever we're using water for whatever purpose it is, washing, especially washing the car, because I see lots of water wasted there. But from anything from taking a shower to brushing your teeth or to cooking, remembering that we're using water on shore at the moment, pumping it out at a much faster rate than it is being replenished. And if we go on like this, it won't be having any water coming out of the tap very, very soon. And to rely on these offshore groundwater resources, it's going to be expensive and potentially have environmental implications. So better not go down that route and just make sure that what we have is used in, its, in the most efficient way.
0: There are said to be over a 1,000 unmetered boreholes, as far as I know, in Malta. That, in uh, terms of
2: like that, Oh, oh 1,000 of them, you think? Mm. Potentially even more. <laughs>
0: Unmetered, that is. Oh, unmetered. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so, so where the government has no idea how much mm-hmm. is being pumped uh, out and uh, exploited. So mm-hmm. there has to be definitely a lot of control over who has access to yes. these resources. But is there a way to use some kind of sub-product, uh, partly desalinated? And I don't. Could could the, the, the system of using water mm-hmm. be redesigned in Malta from scratch for different ways of... Mm-hmm. using these resources that, that there are. So, for example, one type of water for drinking and the kitchen, another mm-hmm. type for washing, and, uh, yes. and and yet another type for agriculture. Would that be a way to specialize the, the water resources?
2: Yes, it can be at a household level, where at home people can reuse some of their water, for example, for secondary purposes that, for example, are not related to cooking, for example, or cleaning. But even at, at a nationwide level, you look at Singapore and they manage to recycle most of their water. And uh, even if they are, have a higher population density than ours and potentially similar problems with water resources. So I, th- I think it can be done at a national level.
1: Let's hope so. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Arun.
0: That was all from Rethink for today. Tell us what you think about this episode by commenting on ThinkUM on Facebook, ThinkUni Malta on Twitter, or ThinkUni on Instagram. Rethink is produced by Think Magazine in collaboration with Campus FM. Our theme music is by Princess Wonderful. You can find the link to her profile in the show notes. Your hosts are Daiva Rapachkaita.
1: And I'm Shruti Sundaresan. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.